Good afternoon and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support. The speaker and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. And if you're viewing online, we will list that link in the chat section um, of the Zoom link. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Alexandros Mihili. He is from Athens, Greece, and moved to Toronto, Canada when he was 10. He decided to become a physician and went to medical school in the Caribbean at St. George's University. He is the first one in his family to become a physician, and now he gets to help his sister as she has decided to become a physician as well. Dr. Mihili is particularly interested in GLP-1 receptor antagonists because of how they have helped him. He is a third-year internal medicine resident and is interested in hospital medicine and, I believe, working at night. Join me in welcoming Dr. Mihili. All right. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for coming. Uh, I'm Alex uh, Mihili. I'm a third-year resident uh, in internal medicine, and today we're going to talk about GLP-1 receptor agonists. Um, I don't have any financial disclosures. Um, so today, our learning objectives are going to be to understand how GLP-1 receptors, uh, receptor agonists function, uh, their use in diabetes and in weight loss. We're going to compare uh, the available GLP-1 receptor agonists in terms of efficacy, uh, some things about when, which is appropriate to use when, and then we're going to look at some future advancements uh, in the field that are coming uh, in the future. So to start off with type 2 diabetes. Uh, as a disease that occurs due to a progressive loss of B cell, of beta cell insulin secretion, often in the presence of insulin resistance. Uh, as we all know, it can be diagnosed with you know, an AOSC of greater than 6.5, fasting plasma glucose of greater than 126, or greater than 200 uh, random plasma glucose, or after a, a two-hour glucose tolerance test. So what is the cost of diabetes? So in total costs, they've riven, risen from 2012, where they were 245 billion, this the largest components of the medical expenditures towards diabetes uh, are in hospital inpatient care, and prescription medications to treat the complications of diabetes, and then to a lesser degree the actual anti-diabetic agents, diabetic supplies, and uh, physician office visits. And people with diabetes occur uh, an average medical expenditure of 1,000 or 16,752 per year about 9,600 of which is attributed to diabetes, which is approximately 2.3 times higher than what that expenditure would be in the absence of diabetes. The other associated medical condition that we're gonna talk about is obesity. It's been designated as a chronic disease by the AMA back in 2013. Um, and by 2035, it's projected to affect almost one quarter of the entire world's population. As we know, an energy deficit is required for weight loss, so reduction in uh, the caloric intake is the foundation of any strategy for weight loss. While lifestyle interventions and behavioral modifications are often the first-line treatment implemented, pharmacotherapy, um, in addition to this, often produces greater and more sustained weight loss. So this is from the American Journal of Managed Care. There has been no obesity guidelines to come out since 2016, and the previous ones were in 2013, and, and those are the only two that have ever come out. Uh, this article kind of summarized those findings from back then, and uh, back then there were only five drugs approved for the treatment of, uh, 
of obesity, uh, which were orlistat, lorcaserin, naltrexone, ibuprofen, liraglutide, and fentramine to pyramate. Lorcaserin, however, was recalled due to an increased cancer risk. Uh, and then in 2021, uh, the semaglutide step trials were published, and semaglutide is now the other medication and one of the only two GLP-1 receptor agonists that are approved for, uh, for weight loss itself. Um, this meta-analysis here published at the end of 2022 uh, in The Lancet showed, uh, summarized 143 studies with 50,000 uh, patients and provided high to moderate evidence that uh, fentramine to pyramate and G uh, the combination and GLP-1 receptor agonists show the most efficacy in reducing weight in patients with obesity. Uh, initially, liraglutide or fentramine into pyramate was the most uh, efficacious. Uh, as you can see up there, um, let's see here how this works. This should be able to highlight. Uh, uh, should be able to highlight, they told them, so I'm trying to, but it's okay. It's up here. Um, fentramine into pyramate has about, uh, about an 8% uh, body weight change from baseline. Uh, whereas uh, liraglutide, which was the second most efficacious, was only about 4.7%. But since semaglutide has come out, which we know as Wagovi, uh, after the step trials, uh, its now uh, efficacy is about 11.4%. So it's much better than the others. Uh, so something of note is Orlostat is used worldwide for weight loss. But um, after this analysis, it's questionable whether it's any better than just lifestyle modifications alone for weight loss. And metformin, which uh, some people purport to be a weight loss, it can contribute to weight loss, is actually uh, noted to be weight neutral. Uh, SGLT2s do cause some change in weight, but not very significant. Um, this is the ADA's uh, guidelines in uh, use of glucose-lowering medications for the management of type 2, type 2 diabetes. It's a pretty busy chart, um, as diabetes is very complicated, but to summarize it, I mean, initially, after initial treatment with metformin, um, if our target is glucose lowering, then our uh, go-tos would be GLP-1 receptor agonists like dulaglutide or semaglutide, which, has very, which have very high efficacy, or insulin, uh, or some combination thereof. Those two are the most efficacious. The others are less efficacious for glucose lowering. Uh, in terms of if in the far end, um, you see that semaglutide and tirzepatide are the most efficacious for weight loss. Uh, and then dulaglutide and liraglutide also have a moderate efficacy as well, but not as high. Uh, in terms of patients with high ASCVD or who are at higher risk for cardiac events, um, GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2s are recommended. You can start with either. If your A1C remains above the target, uh, you can add the other one. SGLT2s are always, uh, you know, GDMT for um, heart failure. And then in CKD, uh, both GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, and SGLT2s uh, have shown uh, improvement in, uh, or I guess, lack of progression. However, there are some uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists that have shown uh, CKD benefit, and I'll talk about those in a little bit. So of the GLP-1 receptor agonists, um, they all have very high efficacy for uh, weight loss. Uh, and uh, the ones that have major adverse cardiac event benefit is dulaglutide, liraglutide, and semaglutide. Uh, 
Uh, and those are all neutral in heart failure as far as we know so far. Uh, there's also benefit for renal endpoints in these medications as well. Um, the other medications that are being studied right now are GLP-1 receptor agonist in combination with a GIP, uh, and that would be something like terzepatide. It has extremely high weight loss potential um, and is actually under investigation for, adverse, uh, for reducing adverse cardiac events and uh, its effect on heart failure and in CKD, and those trials are uh, currently in progress. So in patients with a high ASCVD, um, these three, liraglutide, semaglutide, and duaglutide, would be the GLP receptors chosen or an SGLT2. In terms of efficacy for weight loss, this is the order. So tirzepatide is the most effective, uh, followed by semaglutide, while the others kind of decrease in efficacy. And metformin and DDP4 inhibitors are weight neutral. In terms of pros and cons, um, they're very high efficacy. Uh, they have a low hypoglycemia risk, uh, whether used with metformin or in monotherapy. And, uh, and they have the cardiovascular side effects for the three that I mentioned before. And the CKD benefits are for liraglutide and semaglutide. Uh, and they also, of course, have the benefit of weight loss. Uh, their cons are the costs, which I'll talk about a bit more later. Uh, sometimes renal adjustment is necessary. However, uh, dulaglutide has been studied in patients with, CK, with uh, GFRs as low as 15, so it, and has found to be fairly safe, so it can be used with uh, lower GFRs. Um, they are injectable. Patients sometimes have some resistance to injectable medications. The GI intolerance is the most common side effect, and there are some rare uh, concerns with uh, thyroid cell tumors and acute pancreatitis. Okay. GLP-1 is a gut-derived hormone. It stimulates insulin from pancreatic islet cells in response to oral glucose and leads to a glucose-lowering effect. Uh, it's broken down by DDP-4, and the receptor agonists that we're talking about are resistant to that degradation and therefore have a longer half-life. It slows gastric emptying, can be an appetite suppressant, and improves satiety, uh, and decreases inappropriate uh, secretion of glucagon, amongst other effects. So there have been seven cardiovascular outcome trials using uh, all the GLP-1 agonists, and semaglutide has shown a statistically significant reduction in death from cardiovascular events, uh, along with the highest A1C reduction. And a post hoc analysis of the uh, trials for semaglutide and oral semaglutide both have shown reduced relative risk and absolute risk reduction for adverse cardiac events versus their comparators, which were the other GLP agonists. Um, the primary renal uh, effect has been through reducing um, new onset severe albuminuria. And like I had mentioned, duaglutide was given in patients with very low GFRs and was safe to do so. So it's one of the ones that, are, uh, that is usually chosen for patients with lower um, GFR. Uh, and, but semaglutide did show the largest albuminuria reduction. Like I said earlier, the weekly semaglutide, 2.4 milligrams, is the only medication approved for chronic weight management as, as is high dose liraglutide. But this is the week, uh, the liraglutide is a daily injection. Semaglutide did show a greater than mean weight loss ratio and a greater percentage of patients who lost at least 5% of their body weight when compared to the outcomes of liraglutide versus placebo trial. And the one important thing to note is what's considered a, a meaningful weight loss is a weight loss of greater than 5% of body weight. 
because that will come up later. So now discussing the um, GLP-1 agonists themselves. So the first one that was released, I won't be talking much about, it's exenatide. Um, there, it's, now there are some that are way more preferred. It's called Bieta. I think the Bidurion was actually pulled off the market in some places. Um, it's only 53% homologous to GLP-1, and um, its short-acting formulation has been one of the least efficacious for both weight loss and A1C changes. Lixacenatide, uh, similar, only came out, it was approved in 2016. Um, it's also a daily uh, subcutaneous injection. There's been two trials. It's met non-inferiority for A1C reduction versus uh, exenatide. Uh, and in the other trial, um, it showed that it was better than liraglutide. Uh, liraglutide was better than this at achieving A1C reduction. This one also not very frequently seen. And these are the two trials, the two that uh, show non-inferiority for A1C reduction, but liraglutide being significantly better and in this one, you can see that there's no significant weight loss difference between all of these, uh, including liraglutide at this point. Liraglutide was, uh, is known as Victoza or Saxenda. Uh, it was much more effective at reducing A1C. Both did lead to weight loss that was not statistically different from the other. Um, but uh, it was far better at reducing A1C to below 7 uh, when compared to the weekly exenatide, and it led to better weight loss than weekly exenatide as well. Um, so this is one of the only few medications that are approved uh, for weight loss as uh, Saxenda. This one, and like the rest that we'll talk about, are much closer homologs to the native GLP-1, uh, which, and this one is a 97%. So you can see here that it shows statistically significant improvement in A1C compared to the others, that uh, the comparators, which are the earlier GLP agonists. And here, there's not much of a difference here uh, in terms of the weight loss. However, in the green one here, this is versus dulaglutide that I'll talk about next, it is uh, more significant weight loss. So dulaglutide is trulicity. Um, it was shown to be superior uh, versus exenatide uh, and non-inferior to liraglutide uh, at lowering uh, A1C. It's very frequently used now, especially because it's a weekly dosing versus liraglutide, which uh, might have better weight loss effect, but that is daily dosing. Uh, it has also been shown to have good cardiovascular benefit. Um, and it has high, it, it's said to have high weight loss efficacy and very high glucose lowering efficacy. Uh, and it's also been used in patients with, with EGFRs as low as 15 uh, and thus can be used in uh, renal patients. You can see here that it's non-inferior to liraglutide at A1C lowering, but it's much better than uh, exenatide uh, at both of the dulaglutide dosing. However, um, it's actually here, it's shown to be inferior in weight loss. It's, it's shown to have uh, better weight loss than placebo. However, it's out of all the, the GLP agonists, it seems to have the worst weight loss um, capability. Now, semaglutide, the one that uh, we've all heard about in the news and elsewhere, um, Ozempic or Wegovi, and available now is oral ribelsis. Um, so initially, the sustained trials were for uh, what ended up being called Ozempic, which is the semaglutide subcutaneous uh, injection. It was superior in regards to its A1C reduction 
the proportion of patients that reached uh, great, uh, less than 7% A1C, and it had significantly better weight loss. The uh, sustained seven trial compared it to, to dulaglutide, uh, and it showed improved A1C and much larger proportion, proportion of patients reaching A1C less than 7%. And the weight loss was also fairly significant with um, like 6.5 kilogram weight loss on average versus three uh, with dulaglutide. Uh, in the sustained trial versus liraglutide, it showed us improve, the same improvements in A1C and proportion of patients reaching the target, and there was a higher amount of patients reaching the 5% uh, body weight loss total than there was with the, uh, with the, with the liraglutide. So you can see that here. Uh, all of the red bars are uh, semaglutide and uh, the subcutaneous injection. And as you can see, there's a significant difference between them and all their comparators. The other, uh, and the same thing here, uh, this is for the weight loss. So the pioneer trials were for oral uh, rebelsis, semaglutide. A lot of them were done in Japanese-only patients. Uh, they are also, uh, they did show significant difference in A1C reduction compared to other, A, uh, to other GLP agonists. They can be used, they're not as efficacious as uh, semaglutide uh, subcutaneous, but, every, but however, they can be used as an option when patients are hesitant to take the injection, which I've encountered uh, fairly frequently in clinic. Uh, but, and also the magnitude of the weight loss is less. So as you can see here, they're non-inferior to liraglutide, but uh, they are superior to the lower doses of liraglutide and to dulaglutide in lowering A1C. Uh, despite being oral, and the weight loss potential is also uh, greater. So the STEP trials are the trials that confirm the efficacy of the 2.4 uh, milligram uh, dosing of uh, semaglutide that is called Wagovi, and this is what was approved uh, for obesity. Uh, they increased that dose from 2 to 2.4, and the, that there was a weight, the significant dose-related uh, weight reduction. Um, and it's been pretty difficult to get in the last few months to a year, especially because of uh, supply issues, especially in the lower doses. So it's very difficult to get this to patients. In the first uh, step trial, lifestyle modifications uh, were included. Uh, this is one of the first trials where they included both lifestyle modifications and uh, the addition of a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And 86.5% of participants were found to achieve the targeted weight loss that I mentioned earlier as being meaningful of greater than 5%. The final one that we're going to talk about today is tirzepatide or Manjaro. This is the GLP-1 receptor uh, agonist and GIP combination. Um, it first came out sometime last year. Uh, and uh, the surpassed clinical trials um, was initially versus placebo. It showed very significant reductions in A1C, fasting plasma glucose, weight loss, uh, improvement in triglycerides, total cholesterol, et cetera. Um, and uh, then it was compared to semaglutide as well, which was previously the best of the GLP agonists. Um, and I'll talk about those results in a minute. Uh, it was approved for obesity in late 2022, and uh, now, or uh, for diabetes in 2022, and it was actually approved for obesity uh, under a different name uh, about two days ago. So this is the trial comparing it to semaglutide. 
while there's significant decrease in A1C in both uh, studies, every dose of tirzepatide has statistically significant, significantly better uh, reduction in A1C uh, and fasting uh, plasma glucose than uh, the uh, than semaglutide, and as well as changes in body weight are much better with uh, tirzepatide than they are with semaglutide, and this was the. Uh, reasoning for starting the trials for tirzepatide to become approved for obesity. So these are the surmount trials that led to it being approved for obesity. And you can see here the difference versus placebo is significant. There's only a 3% weight, uh, weight reduction uh, versus 15, 19.5, and 20% at higher doses. Um, there's also been trials uh, in obese diabetic patients, which has shown similar results. Um, in this trial here, it showed uh, basically patients who had uh, took tirzepatide high dose, and uh, these are patients who had achieved a 5% body weight reduction through lifestyle modifications alone, and these were separated to either placebo or uh, tirzepatide 15 or 10 milligrams, and um, the ones with the 15 milligrams uh, led to an 18 18.4% additional an average weight reduction to, in addition to the 5% that they had initially lost versus the placebo, which gained about 2.5% of the weight back. Um, upon review of this, there may be an additive benefit from uh, lifestyle modifications. However, um, it's unclear as the demographics of the patient may have been different. So there's not enough uh, data to make any uh, specific, uh, you know, statement about whether adding both uh, is truly better or not. And this is the press release from two days ago or Wednesday where Zepbound, which is Tirzepatide or Munjaro's uh, new name that's going to, it's marketed under for weight loss. This was just approved on Wednesday. Now, uh, in terms of accessibility of these medications, for a lot of patients, we have seen, especially lately, because of their popularity in the media with a lot of famous people who can afford these medications, there's very inconsistent access to them. If they don't have insurance, they can be prohibitively expensive. And despite showing notable efficacy for weight loss, only two are approved. So in terms of cost, this is the one that I mentioned as being one of the least efficacious, and this is still $850. Liraglutide, the daily injection is, you know, over a thousand. Dulaglutide, still 800. Semaglutide in all of its forms are in the high 900s. So this is Manjaro, which is also a thousand, but luckily for who knows how long, how much longer. But for now, there's a coupon for $25 for patients that um, have diabetes. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about it uh, later, but the same coupon will be available for the new formulation uh, for patients that don't have insurance that covers it as well. And that's expected to be made available before the end of 2023. Uh, they said sometime after Thanksgiving. So side effects, one of the things that most patients are concerned about with most medications, but especially these, uh, the most common are nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, occasionally constipation. Um, the nausea can wane with duration of therapy, um, and there can be, and it can be reduced with dose titration as well. What I've usually done is I keep patients at the same dose if they're having too much nausea, and I, instead of giving it weekly, we'll do it every 10 days or some you know form of dosing that works for them to minimize their symptoms. Um, there have been reports of pancreatitis. Uh, 
Um, however, upon reviewing the data, it seems that there's there's various uh, cohort studies that show that it's that there is a link, while others show that there is no uh, link. And there's meta analyses that show that there uh, there was no increased risk of pancreatitis. However, uh, because of this, you know. Uh, inconsistency, most people will treat pancreatitis as an absolute contraindication uh, to GLP-1 agonists, and they won't prescribe it once the patient has uh, an episode of pancreatitis. Other side adverse effects, hypersensitivity reactions, injection reactions, it's contraindicated in type 1 diabetics. Uh, like I said, people with history of pancreatitis, it's to be used with caution in those with gastroparesis. Uh, renal impairment, I mentioned earlier, um, exenatide shouldn't be used below a 30 GFR. Uh, liraglutide and duaglutide can be used cautiously with patients as low as uh, GFR 15. Um, and of note, you know, the gastric emptying uh, delay that occurs with most GLP-1 agonists, oftentimes after several months of treatment does start to wane. So it's not as significant as it is at the start. So the fact that weight loss still occurs despite this initial period does show that it's not just the delayed gastric emptying that causes the weight loss. And the other um, almost absolute contraindication is a history, whether personal or family history, of medullary thyroid cancer or MEN2A and 2B syndromes, and um, most experts won't prescribe this uh, to these patients. In terms of future directions, there's, as you can imagine from the cost of the medications and how popular they are, it's a pretty lucrative field. Um, I think what would be useful is a comparison of GLP-1 receptor agonists along with uh, in versus things like the fentramine to pyramate, like I discussed earlier, that's been shown to have pretty significant weight loss, see how they compare to each other and have some updated guidelines from for in terms of you know obesity management since there haven't been any real ones since 2016. In terms of uh, studies that are in progress, um, so pembidutide is from Altimune. It's currently a drug in phase two trial. It's, a, it's actually a GLP-1 receptor agonist along with a glucagon analog instead of a GIP like uh, tirzepatide was. And it's being, it's glucose neutral, so it's only being studied for obesity and uh, NASH. Uh, Masdutide is from Innovent uh, Biologics, and it's actually currently uh, in phase two. They just released the phase two results about uh, in, at the end of October. And it's uh, a study from China currently going on. It also targets the glucagon receptor and GLP-1 uh, receptor. Um, and basically, after 24 weeks, there was a 15.4% reduction in uh, body weight. And when extended to 48 weeks, 51% of patients in this trial achieved 15% uh, or more weight loss. And 34.9% uh, uh, achieved greater than 20%. Denuglopron is an oral GLP-1 receptor agonist uh, down the pipeline from Pfizer at some point. So this is the other uh, big coming from Eli Lilly. It's from the company that released both. It's that released terzepatide rather. This one is uh, a GLP-1 glucagon and GIP receptor agonist. Um, it was there was a 48-week trial currently that was published back in August. Uh, and there is a dose-dependent increase in weight loss that's shown to be significantly more than any other medication that's been seen. As you can see up there at the top, drop the mouse. Uh, 
Um, uh, at the top, there is a 24.2% uh, weight loss. And uh, in the second graph, you can see that 5% um, was achieved by all three of the higher doses. 5% uh, weight loss was achieved by, achieved by all three of the higher doses of uh, the medication. So promising um, future for the field. Um, and for weight loss. So these are questions I was told to put up here. Um, GLP-1 approved for weight loss was uh, Wagovi. Um, so the one that has a savings card uh, at the moment is Manjaro, and this is the one I wanted to talk a little bit more about. Uh, so it requires patients with type 2 diabetes who uh, are not on a federal or state government-funded program, um, prescription program. They have to have type 2 diabetes, and they need to be USA or Puerto Rico resident. Um, if people, if they're able to get it, this can be a great uh, tool for uh, a weight reduction med. Uh, not at not a thousand dollars, you can get it for up to a year. If they don't have insurance, they can get it for up to two years uh, for this price of twenty-five dollars. And the new medication that was just approved for weight loss will also have this coupon for an unknown length of time until uh, insurances start approving it. And uh, which of the following have renal benefit? And it was lyroglutide. And that's it. I want to thank Dr. Patel and Dr. Fung who helped me out. And uh, this is the link. Thank you, Dr. Mahili. If you're viewing online and have a question, please enter it in the Q&A chat and we'll ask for you. Are there any comments or questions in the room? Hi, Alex, it was a very good presentation. Um, I had a question on your adverse effects slide. Now you said that GLP-1 is contraindicated in type one. Can you clarify it more? So it's not an absolute contraindication, but there's been no, no real studies at, the at this time that they, it's, they're not really being used. Okay. So there's no, it's not. Because really I know that there have been like some studies going on okay. where they are studying, especially in like early type 1 diabetics it, because yeah. they have their pancreatic function still preserved. It's so, yes, it's not an like necessarily a contraindication so much as it hasn't been, there hasn't been a lot of studies. So the guidelines haven't really been, I think, updated quite yet. But I think in the future, it's very possible that it would be used. Um, great presentation, Dr. Mahili. Uh, the question I had is about the same slide, so gastroparesis, coming back to it, mm -hmm. that is known with these medications being great for weight loss and diabetes control. Mm -hmm. In the trials that you went through while these drugs were being studied, um, as we all know that a lot of diabetics would have baseline gastroparesis, especially if uncontrolled for long periods of time. In any of these trials, were was gastroparesis considered to be a limiting factor or when they were considering patients to be included in the trial or no? So I think, uh, I don't think it was considered a limiting factor. I think it's been used with, like, with caution. So a lot of the times the side effects of the medication would, you know, exacerbate their gastroparesis uh, to the point where some did have to drop out of the trial. So I don't think they, they were really excluded from what I've seen, but it's, it's a consideration. Uh, they're, they're used with caution, meaning like with, in lower doses uh, and with much more careful monitoring because, I mean, if they already have delayed gastric emptying, you're right, the delayed gastric emptying effect from the medication could kind of worsen their symptomatology and, you know, who knows what other effects, yeah. Hi, great presentation. 
In your research, did you happen to come across any other side effects than the most common ones, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea? Anything related to dermatology, skin issues, hair loss, or anything like that with any of the drugs? Um, I don't believe I saw anything about hair loss. I think the only skin-related stuff is for injection site reactions. Like, um, so wherever you put it, uh, wherever you do the injection, uh, there could be injection site reactions, as with all injectable medications. Um, and uh, hypersensitivity reactions uh, could happen with any medication as well. There's nothing specific that I saw. Um, as a physician for many years, I retired nearly three years ago. I used to do, I like holistic natural medicine along with regular medicine. Sorry. Uh, a physician in my residency got me started on this. And it happens to be gymnema is one of the things you can take like one hour before you eat or 45 minutes before you eat, which is fantastic. It curtails your appetite and it cuts down the flavor of sugars in your system. So you won't eat as much. So that's one of the things. The other one for sugars, you got xylitol, uh, you got also stevia, you got other sugars that you can use that won't have the same effect as, because everything right now is laden, completely laden with two types of sugar, glucose and fructose, and you got fructose everywhere. Even Coca-Cola now uses corn syrup, and what they fatten pigs with is corn. So here you go, you know, you're taking more and more fructose with everything. Everything, you, you got to read them. And you're going to see the amount of fructose it has more than anything else at this point in time. Um, and the other thing is we're, we're heading the way that we're, we're, you know, you're working eight hours a day here in the hospital, whatever not. You got very little time to go out and work out in the gym or whatever not. So sedentary life is also helping us to get more obese, you know, and diabetic. Yeah, That's those, it. Are, those are good points. I haven't heard of some of the stuff that you said, but uh, I'll look into those. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. The other one was milk thistle. Milk thistle regenerates your liver. And the majority of obese people or diabetic people also have steatotic liver changes with micro and micro uh, steatosis of the liver. So that's another one. Okay. This is any insight into why these therapeutics are underused by minorities and women? Um, I mean, I'm not sure uh, as to why they're underused by minorities and women. I, I, the one thing that I can think of is they might be either less prescribed, less available, uh, as I mentioned, you know, people with a lot of uh, resources are able to pay for these medications uh, and get them outside the regular means that we have to go through. So people who um, have less access to, you know, vast amounts of money to pay the prices that I put up there right. would definitely be able to, um, you know, kind of make the supply more scarce for people who are, for groups that are underprivileged. So that would definitely be a reason. Thank you, Dr. Mahili. Great presentation. Thank you.